account was settled long ago. I hope your account was settled long ago. If it hasn't been, you need to get it settled, that's for sure. Well, take your Bible, if you would. Turn over to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, last Sunday morning, we began a message titled Strangers. We continued with it Sunday evening, and this Sunday evening, we're going to close it out. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's kind of funny. I was asking a couple of the fellas how they, uh, what they thought about the um, carousel. They, you got to understand, the, um, when you first walk into the carousel, as well, you as well as I know, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty awesome. You're like, wow. But here's the thing. I was asking some of the guys. I said, how does it look to you today, now that you've been in it over and over again? And somebody said, a couple of them said to me, every time I come into it, it's a little smaller. You know what I'm saying? You ever been like that when you get a new house? Or you get a new car and you say, wow, i got all this room. And next thing you know, you go into it, you start going in and out of it. Next thing you know, you go, it just, it's not as big as it used to be. The living room used to look huge compared to what you had, but as you're in it all the time, you're going, that's not that big. You ever been there? Well, that's kind of how the carousel feels to me a little bit. It's not as big as it used to be. That's how it feels to some of the folks that have been in and out of it. i got a feeling once we get in there a little while, we're going to all be going... Man, this place used to seem so huge to us, so out of reach. But I think we're going to find that it really is going to fit just fine. It's going to be just fine. But it's exciting as we go in there. There's all kind of rooms. Did you go through it? I mean, did you walk through that place? I mean, it's like, where am I at? You know what I mean? There's just room upon room upon room. It's, I don't know. It's crazy. So anyway, uh, it's pretty exciting to me. I like, I like it. Uh, the only thing I don't like is going there by myself. That's scary. But other than that, I like it. I'm, I'm loving being there when, when it's happening, when people are around. But I haven't even gone in and really dedicated the building in my own way. I, I do that to every place I go, whether it's my home or whether it's my car, whether it's anything the Lord gives me, I dedicate it back to Him. And uh, yeah, I do that. I did that with this building. Every single room, every single cubbyhole, I was, I was in on my face on that, in that room in this place. Asking God to do something miraculous. And, uh, you know, I, I'll do that in the carousel, too. I just like to do that by myself. And once we get the, uh, everything in place and I know the security system is secure, I'll, I'll probably go then, you know. I know the Lord will be with me and all. It's just that the other people that are with me is the one that I worry about. All right. Okay. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. All you guys are going, he's a big baby. You're right, I am. I don't care. I, I admit it. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which 
according to his abundant mercy, have begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, ye believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, again, without taking too much time, we read the first verse stating that the Apostle Peter is speaking to those he calls strangers scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's talking about these believers who had been scattered abroad as a result of persecution. Twenty-five years earlier in the book of Acts, chapter 8, we read about that persecution. And now he addresses them and he begins to share with them some things about being strangers. As a matter of fact, he recognizes that even though they had sought escape for the purpose of fleeing persecution, they still find themselves in the same boat. They're still being persecuted. They're still being uh, uh, made fun of. They're still being mocked and maligned and mistreated. And he wants to try to encourage them. And he, he says to them, he, he says once again, to the strangers scattered abroad. And he makes the point that you are not really citizens of this world. You are strangers in this land. You're simply pilgrims passing through. And he goes on to tell them why that is. And last time that we spoke, or the first couple of times, we noted that he said we are strangers because of our Father. And our Father is God, of course. We noted that in verse 3 when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We noted that although every person is born, every person that is born is a creation of God, they're not necessarily the child of God. We said that for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, God loves each and every one of us. And Christ died in our place. And that dying is proof positive of that love. However, only those who place their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ are identified as the children of God. We're strangers because of our Father. But we said also we're strangers because of our future, excuse me, our fortune. Our fortune is heaven. In verse 4, he goes on to say, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Again, according to the Word of God, as believers and the children of God, our real home is heaven and not earth. We're just simply pilgrims. We're just simply strangers in this land. 
And we noted that, that in Philippians that it says that our conversation is in heaven. And we made the point that we're simply just citizens in heaven. And that we're to reflect through our life and our actions our citizenship. We're to, re, re, we're to somehow live on earth now how it will be one day. And so we are already citizens of heaven and we have a fortune already that's ours. We're strangers here because heaven is our home, not just tomorrow, but now. Finally, our future, we noted. We said that our future was secure. Again, in verse 5, he goes on to say, who are kept by the power of God. We're kept by the power of God. The Bible makes it perfectly clear that once a person has entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, their future is forever secured. They possess an eternal inheritance. And they're kept by God's power. See, we said that we couldn't dismiss the reality or we could not somehow dismiss this aspect of the keeping versus the keeper. That the keeping is only as sure as the keeper is. And we have a very sure keeper. Therefore, we are kept by Him, safe and secure. We now are going to move on to some others. And again, the Apostle Paul gives us these reasons why we are strangers in this land. I know you're being persecuted. I realize you're under duress. I know that you're stressed out. I know that that the the people in this world are not treating you with the kind of respect and the kind of attitude that you would hope to get. But hold on. You're simply strangers. Never forget that this is not your home. But heaven is your home. And God is your Father. And he goes on to say, not only, not only... Are you strangers because of your father, your fortune, and your future? But you are also strangers because of your fight. Verse 6 and 7, he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn today or tonight just a couple of other reasons why we're strangers on this earth. Why this is not our home and we're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Father, help us. Speak to our hearts tonight. Do your work in our hearts. May we be more sure than ever that we're your children. And that, Father, you are with us always. We love you now. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, again we read, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. See, we realize that we are simply pilgrims. That we are strangers in this land. One of the reasons is because we have this fight that we are in constantly. This opposition that we face. And one of those battles is with temptation. He says the fact that you have an inheritance incorruptible, the fact that you have this wonderful, undefiled 
inheritance that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for you. The, the fact that you're kept by the power of God, man, I mean, that is reason to rejoice, he says. However, he goes on to say there's another reality that you have to face. You are in heaviness through manifold temptations. See, we're in a spiritual battle. The fact is that the harder we seem to fight, the hotter the fire. Maybe that's why at times as believers, we're very content not to fight too hard. Because it seems the more we try to be holy, the more we try to, to put the brakes on, the more, uh, as far as the world is concerned, the more we try to, to, to have the mind of Christ and, and be Christ-like in our spirit, as hard as we try, it seems the more we try, the hotter the fire. And sometimes it's just easier to throw our hands in and say, you know, I've tried that, it don't work. It's just too hard to be holy in this wicked world we live. It's too difficult to be separated from the world and the things of this world. I think I'll just go ahead and join in because it's a lot easier. Of course it is. We are in a spiritual battle in Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen, we are in the battle of our life. But I'm glad today that we are promised victory. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. As believers, we may well realize that temptation is something that we're going to face the rest of our lives. doesn't matter how close to God you get. It doesn't matter how hard you try to be even separated from the world. It doesn't matter how much you read the Bible or pray. The reality is, is that you're forever going to be tempted with temptation. Forever going to be wore out, so to speak, with the battle that takes place in the flesh and in the mind. As a matter of fact, the reality is, is that battling temptation is one of the proofs that you are a stranger, that you are a pilgrim in this land. See, concerning temptation, the, the issue isn't, will this temptation cease? When will this temptation cease? But instead, when will I overcome? And again, God does the overcoming in our lives, but we have to yield to Him. We have to say to ourselves, I cannot stand this sin in my life. I loathe it in my life. I don't want anything to do with it. You know, it's a funny thing that a man or a woman never stops smoking until they want to. No one ever stops drinking till they choose to or decide to. It's a funny thing how the desires of the flesh just don't go away on their own. It's almost as if we just finally get so tired of being driven by them and controlled by them and ruled by them that we finally say, enough is enough. And with God's help, I'm going to overcome this in my life. 
I will not let it rule me. I'll not allow the flesh to have dominion over me. I'll let the Spirit rule. But we will battle temptation. Blessed, James 1.12 tells us, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. You know what that means? Obviously, that means there's going to be a constant battle, and we're going to have to endure it constantly. If you're waiting for temptation to slow down, to back off, to relax, before you get on with your Christian life, you might as well just sit down and plan on staying a while. Because you're not going to go anywhere. Because it will not quit. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What's he saying? He says it's worth the battle. It's worth the fight. Sure, it's tough for now. And sure, it seems like a lifetime because this is all the life we know. But the reality is, is that this is only a mere fraction of your life. May I demonstrate for just one moment how long your life is compared to eternity. You see the edge of this paper? Consider the entire distance from that wall to this wall. And now here is your life. You don't understand how tough it is in this life, preacher. It's so difficult and I'm forever bombarded and it's just never ending. I've been going through this for a month. I've been going through this for a year. I've been going through this for ten years. You don't understand my affliction which is but for a moment. He says, It worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Aren't you willing to hold out? I mean, for a moment? Because that's all it is in light of eternity. But not only do we see the fight in the form of temptation, but also we battle with trials, he says. He says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 73, please. Psalm chapter 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, 
You ever feel like that? <laughs> Man. I know what everybody else is doing, but as for me, wow. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart, but as for me, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with flatness, uh, fatness. They have more than hard could wish. They're corrupt. Speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue worketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. say, why do you read all that? Because I think it's imperative and important that we understand That even as the psalmist describes the wicked and those in this world as those not in trouble as other men. Those that are neither plagued like other men. That we come to the realization that as the child of God, we're going to face trials. We're going to face difficulties. I mean, oh, I know that all men ultimately face troubles and trials in their life. But it seems sometimes like the people of God just are at the other end of the spectrum. It seems like no matter how hard we try to live for God, no matter how pure we seek to be, it doesn't matter how separated we try to strive for, the reality is is that it seems that trials seem to grip our heart and our lives. And there are times we look at this world and we see those that are in it living like the devil and we say to ourselves, if we're not careful, we'll say, But how's come, God? How's come I serve you and they've got it easier than I do? How's come they have a new car and I don't? How's come they have a good paying job and I can't seem to find one? How's come they don't have the health problems I have? Oh God, I'm giving you my all! My feet, Lord, are nigh slipping. The devil has no reason to upset the apple cart. And thus at times he is content to supply his children in hopes of keeping them content. But as a believer, you need to realize always that the devil has lost your soul. So he will do anything he can to ruin your testimony. And steal your joy. Because he can't take your soul from you. So he'll try to take 
anything else you'll give him. Chippy, the parakeet, never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean his, his cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang, and as she turned to pick it up, she barely said hello when... Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped and put down the phone, turned off the vacuum and opened up the bag and there was little Chippy, still alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced him to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked to the bone and shivering, she, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hair dryer, put it on full blast, and dried off her pet with hot air. <clears throat> Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see you know, how the bird was recovering. Well, his owner replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. <laughs> do you know that that's exactly, exactly what the devil tries to do to you and I? He hits us with every imaginable trial in hopes that we, like Chippy, will no longer sing but instead just sit and stare. Boy, the devil will use all kind of people to do his, his bidding. And may we never forget that the world wasn't very friendly with Jesus either. Chippy. Isn't that a lovely name? Let me just speak of faith very quickly. <clears throat> because of time, we're not going to probably get to the last one. But in 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 8, <clears throat> we read there, Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I think that's faith, don't you? I mean, one of the reasons why we're simply strangers is because of our faith. See, man demonstrates faith daily. All of mankind demonstrates faith daily. The truth is, is that each and every one of us demonstrated faith today. And right at this very moment, you demonstrate faith for where you sit, you had the faith that it would support you. So every person that's alive exercises faith. So that's never really the question. So the issue isn't whether they exercise it or how much faith they have. 
but rather the object of their faith. Again, it's not the amount of faith that reconciles us to God. It's what we're putting our trust in. Imagine, if you would, two bridges across a river in a flood. The first is just an old bridge. It's made of solid timbers, but which had been replaced. The second was a new concrete bridge, which, unknown to anyone, had a very serious flaw. A car arrives at the river, and the driver, with lots of faith, drives across the new bridge. Halfway across that bridge, it collapses. Another car comes along. This driver sees only one old bridge. And in fear and trembling, drives across. But gets safely across to the other side. See, the first driver had lots of faith. But he put it in the wrong bridge. The second driver had very little faith. But he had enough to trust the right bridge. See, the person who commits his or her life to Jesus Christ is secure for eternity, not because of the amount of their faith, but because of the greatness of the one who they're placing their faith in. And our faith is focused on none other than Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the only begotten of the Father, And because our faith is in Jesus Christ, we are strangers in this world. See, the world puts their faith in money and possessions, doctors and lawyers, systems and plans and programs. There's nothing wrong with some of those things. Don't misunderstand me. But when we place our faith in them, then we have misplaced our faith. We are strangers here, simply pilgrims, because of our faith. And it's not how much faith, but what our faith is in. The world places their faith in all kinds of gods, trusting their gods to bring them comfort and peace and safety, whether it's a security system or whether it's some bars on a window, but placing our faith in something other or someone other than Jesus Christ. And may I say, you can have all the faith in the world in another God, but that other God will never, ever land you safely in the place called heaven. Only Jesus Christ. You say, but my faith is weak and... I don't know how how really how much I can trust him. You just need to trust him enough to save you. Cross the right bridge. Maybe with fear and trembling, how be it? But cross the right bridge. But boy, I'll tell you what, even though we may not have a lot of faith when we come to Christ, I want you to know that that faith provides us with a number of benefits. It provides us with hope. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It provides us with the ability to please God. That little faith that we exercise in Christ, that faith makes it, it, makes it possible to please Him. 
He says in Hebrews 11:6, "But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him." Not only does it provide hope and the ability to please God, but it provides victory. Faith always provides victory. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read of men and women that knew what victory was, all because of their faith. In Hebrews 11, it's called the faith chapter. It's called the hall of faith by some. By faith, in chapter 11, verse 29, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, are saying to do, were drowned. By faith, the wall of Jericho fell down. After that, they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that uh, believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fires, escaped the edge of the sword, out of a weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Victory comes through faith. And finally, power to overcome is made available through that same faith. In 1 John 5, 4 and 5, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Tonight, you and I are strangers. There's no doubt that we are strangers because of our Father, our fortune, our future, our fight, and our faith. Peter says, I know you believers fled from Jerusalem in an attempt to escape the cruel persecution that you met face to face here in this place. But you found out something. You learn that opposition isn't limited to a specific region or a specific city, but instead it extends around the world. But as disappointed, as disgusted, and as discouraged as you may be, let me remind you, you are simply pilgrims and strangers in this land. You have a different father than the rest of it. Your fortune is heaven and your future secure. Your fight is a spiritual one that you can win. And your faith is in the only begotten of the Father. And you are free indeed to love and to serve the Lord today. Never forget what the Apostle Peter said. We are strangers in this land. But let us live as victors. For we serve a mighty God. Father, we come to You. We thank You again, Father, for the time that we've had together tonight. And Lord, as we 